0: This is GamesAtwork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone, and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 428. Is you is or is you ain't my AI? good evening good afternoon it is friday and this is michael rowe your co-host at gameswork.biz with my friends and co-hosts starting with michael martin how are you fantastic
1: great to be here and thrilled that uh mr andy piper you're back with us again hello andy hello friends yes i'm here and ready to talk tech co-hosts unite (laughs) or assemble or something like that i don't know wonder trio powers triplets um so, so Andy, while you were away last week, uh, we had a, a bit of a show and chatted about a few things. And you're like, guys, you missed an important part of the topic, as I recall, and um, and you found this cool Tech Tech Crunch article about Nvidia. I think following on the the notion that we had chatted a little bit about them having the know your customer kind of angle to it so it's not exactly completely in that same vein but you you did make a a comment in our chat about uh there's even more to it so i'm curious to know your thoughts about this article and maybe even a little bit more about uh the the additional components that we should be thinking about with know your customer
2: yeah i listened to last week's show and uh, a little bit of listener feedback for you uh, from me um was, we expect nothing less. We had some we had some links in last week's show re- get related to uh, Nvidia's um, distribution and and the fact that they were looking, as as I understood the story, to understand who their customers were, where their stuff was being exported to, who was using their chips. Um, and you both uh, jumped on this as a well, you know, this is fairly standard practice for selling. Hardware, software, any kind of components overseas, and knowing where it's going, and and they're being uh, denied uh, country lists and things like that. I've been thinking about those that topic a, a bit more broadly because, you know, we do a show called Games at Work Is and we've talked for many years about the advances around gaming technology and how those advances have pushed forward technology in other areas, and Nvidia seem to be one of the huge huge uh success stories out of this the last 10 15 years from you know focusing on building Gpus and then that sudden uh change in direction around why you couldn't get hold of a graphics card you know three or four years ago and that was because it was originally going to crypto miners um and that was a huge thing because the gpus turned out to be really good for uh, running the kinds of uh, multi-processing work that is needed to efficiently drive um, Bitcoin mining farms, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever we might think of that as a concept um, and, and and running stuff related to the blockchain, they clearly got a benefit from that sort of spike in the market and interest. And now they're getting a spike in the interest around machine learning and AI. And I thought this story in TechCrunch was a little bit, potentially disingenuous, not the story from TechCrunch themselves, not the reporting, but I felt that the way that NVIDIA were presenting this whole thing as, you know, we bet the farm five years ago, we bet the farm on going all in on to AI. Really? But did you? Because did, was anybody talking about AI five years ago, Really? Really?
0: Uh, only, only in contents of what they were doing with uh, building chips for automotive industry, right? I, I wouldn't even say that. Which I wouldn't. I wouldn't say uh, they didn't call it AI, but they were focused on understanding the and building learning models to be able to identify road hazards yeah, and other things.
1: The visual aspects of AI, as I recall, I, and, 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 I, and there was a there was a podcast that may have reported a little bit on that. I'm just going to go search them up here yeah, in the meantime, just yes. just to see. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> But but I think because I remember talking to them at uh, at CES about it.
0: Right, it had these these massive 192 GPU
2: chips that mm-hmm. they were building for cars. Mm-hmm. So I think that the way that they did embrace the stuff that they built, and rather than then just continuing to invest in, well, we've got to produce the best graphics cards for gamers, which is arguably where they started out. Um, they've come along. They've been—I um, don't remember which way around it was. There was the whole um, piece around acquisition of ARM at some point in the last uh, few years um, that didn't didn't go through, if I remember rightly. Um, and and the, we don't have it in our show notes, but there was a big
0: announcement this week about ARM. There was indeed yes.
2: around their IPO uh, coming soon, um, and who their investors are. Absolutely. So there's some some related stuff here. I just thought that the whole story around NVIDIA and the story around what was gaming technology, um, much more squarely focused as gaming technology, expanding to become this much more broadly general compute uh, capable uh, uh, technology was really interesting. And flipping back to the story from last week, yes, of course, it's important under export law to understand where technology is being exported to and how it might be used or misused but i found that nvidia's sort of change in focus very much more i felt that was much more of a story around um sort of enterprise understanding of uh future directions um than than the way that perhaps it was covered last week that was just my thought
0: and 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 this and this exact discussion is why it's always great when all three of us are together cuz we'll look at the story in a much broader way
1: it's very cool and i'm glad you did andy that, that that's pretty awesome yes um so you were also adding even more content for us to be considering here um a, an article from meta uh from their ai group about all open sourcing audio craft so
2: Now, something I have to ask both of you about this is whether or not either of you went ahead and listened to the samples that are about uh, half of the way down the yes. page, because I think that's yes. really where you start to get some of the magic from this particular story. So this is a story about uh, Meta, as Michael says, uh, 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 open sourcing some, some new things, something called audio craft, so generative AI for audio, the idea that you can... It's very similar to generative uh, AI for images out of text descriptions. Um, you can say, I want something that sounds like this, contains this, um, and it's going to give you some audio from from that text description. And it's really impressive, I think. Um, yeah. And I think it really is a big uh, leap for uh, people like ourselves, potentially, and perhaps we'll even who knows? Have some generative segments in future episodes of the show, or indeed in this show. Who oh, knows?
0: Little bumpers and little stingers, um, um, all those little audio clips that you have in a in a podcast. So I thought it, th- it's funny. This was I, very. Cool. I actually uh, i i heard a story about this uh, earlier this week. I guess it was on Daily Tech News show, and it was kind of the the, the same thought process. And after spending the last couple of weeks playing around with generative AI models, um, it. It really explains, what it explains to me is there's is these very large models out there, right? Uh, that, that can do a lot of different things, but for you to actually make value out of them, you need to have very specific tuning or prompting done to generate something that is useful. And so uh, just looking at the way the text prompt is worded, tells me that there's probably a tuned version of the llama the model that's audio, which is what this article is all about, right? Uh, and it, it, it would be interesting to see how much of that same corpus or large model can be peeled apart in other very unique use cases based off of uh, the tuning and the prompt, prompts that are used in it. Because I I had Llama installed on my machine uh, back about four or five months ago when I was playing with it and trying to do some code uh, unit test generation for my own code, and it was crap.
1: (laughs) You know, uh, going back to the Johnny Cash example... And and thinking about Apple Loops as well, it's easy to see where a large language model like this, with the appropriate prompt, could do some really intriguing things altogether. Want you know, by, by pulling in, okay, I want the Folsom County Jail kind of background going on, or you know, I I want an intimate uh, venue kind of acoustic sound quality to it versus an arena conversation, and as we were just talking about this, I was recalling print shop pro. So, Michael probably knows where I'm gonna go with this, but Print Shop Pro is a very old piece of software that was used to create computer graphics that um, students would use to create their their reports. So you had to do a book report or something like that. And you would use PrintShop Pro to write the, to create the cover off and your dot matrix printer would go zzz, zzz, and, and print out the cover. And the teachers were like, Wow, this is fabulous! Oh my gosh, computer skills, it's amazing. And the reality was it was was just sort of the default clip, clip art, art kind of stuff, right? <laughs> uh, and and yeah. what's to me now even more intriguing is this is not an Apple Loop like oh I've heard that bumper before on six other podcasts. You could now generate something that's like oh that's pretty unique, uh, but it's kind of sort of like something I've heard before, but not quite. So it gives that quality of kind of sort of unique, but kind of sort of ain't.
0: Hmm? Yeah, I was just reading uh, um, the uh, editorial from Fran Drescher on the SAG strike Hmm. (laughs) and thinking in the line of this, there's a significant, I I assume there was or there used to be a significant business writing jingles for people. Uh, and you can just see an entire group of people whose main job was writing 30-second stingers or jingles for commercials being wiped out by a, a really good prompt tuner uh, generating the the right sound for that little yeah. clip.
1: <laughs> Write me an earworm that, you know, will sell coffee, uh, you know, from your favorite coffee shop. Um, all right. So, so moving along, but sticking with the AI theme here for a minute or three. Uh, I would come across an app called and I'll, I'll mispronounce it, but I'll do the best I can Suka, because uh, I'm going to go do the umlaut the way I think it might be. It's sort of, you know, sort of uh, Nordic in its sense. And this is a bucket list app that purports to use AI to help you create your own bucket list place in the world or experiences that you would like to have. And um, the prompt could be really anything you might want it to be like, I'm going to go to New Zealand and I would like to experience the food and cuisine of New Zealand. So tell me what it might be. And, um, I know you guys have both given this a try too. uh, and, and Andy, I'm curious to hear about your Lego experience, but I had a conversation mm. in the car about this and the argument that was raised from my wife to me on it was, well, how's this any different from search? And I, I, was a little stumped, but at the same time, I said, well, you know, I looked at certain things um, that I had been searching before using various search engines, and this did turn up some new content. Uh, Andy, did you use it to conduct your Lego bucket list and give you a few ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of before?
2: Yeah, I was interested in this because you shared it with us, and it really only gives you links to the App Store um, Google Play or, or the App Store. Um, so I went and installed it. And I was uh, out walking, actually, at the time, and I just thought, okay, let's see what this thing can do. It, I expected it to ask for a bunch more information about me and, you know, do the usual create an account so we know who you are and give us your email address. Didn't do any of that, so that was quite pleasing. Yeah, I me, mean, same here. Uh, as an initial, you know, try this thing out experience, um, I didn't, didn't feel too sort of awful about about trying it out and then i thought well bucket list i mean for me a bucket list or the bucket list would be sort of all of the things i really want in life you know the stuff that is like the you know aspirational things to do before you die that kind of thing right Mm -hmm. so the idea that the first thing it does is ask give you ask you to give it a location wasn't actually what i wanted to do and i thought to myself you know what Right. Let's see what happens if I just type in something else. What do I? What am I really into? Lego. So I typed in Lego, and I thought there isn't a place that I know of called a Lego. Uh, there's Lego <laughs> Land. There's Lego <laughs> land. House. There's there's other things. So it could have just sort of taken a side that. It, yeah. It it does exactly. It does a Lego movie. Interestingly, it, it didn't offer that as an option on the list. Mm. Um, it did. Um, it said, "Well, okay, we're going to go and." ask our AI if, if it knows what this means or, you know, where, where this place is. Um, and it didn't stop at that point. It gave me, and I haven't tried it exhaustively. I've literally done it, done this one try with it on this one topic. So I, I could probably dump it and give it a, a bad search term, but I gave it this thing and then it came back and said, you know, let's, you know, build a, build a Lego city or, uh, what were the, some of the other ones? I'm just scrolling back and looking. Attend a tender Lego convention, create a custom mosaic, some of these things. And I thought, okay, well, I've done some of these things or some of them I haven't done. Some of them would be really cool. So I made a little list. And then as you build your list, it gives you the option to tap on and add an image and it will use Unsplash mm-hmm. to find a related image. And then you can say, give it sort of what progress you're at in the, in the list. That's as far as I got. But I was intrigued because I didn't find it that compelling as a thing just around places to visit. Mm -hmm. Now I can totally understand that it's a cool thing to do. If you don't know, if you are going somewhere and you'd like some, you know, some good examples of things to figure out what to do in a, in a place. And I know both of you tried it locally for your, for yourselves. Um, But um, it, 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 it kind of pushes itself into a trap into being a travel app immediately when it could be something quite um, much broader Maybe that's how it will evolve. Right. Um, It does, you know, it does have a lot of terminology, iconography related to travel by default. So maybe they started from that perspective or maybe they ended in that with that focus. But yeah, fun little app. Haven't haven't done any more with it so far. So I I installed it on my iPad
0: and uh, I answered, where are Uh you? And so it gave me a, a bucket list of things to do locally. Okay, um, and th- that was interesting. Now, for for those who might want to try it out, you get five free searches. After that, you're gonna pay uh, right. because they're they're obviously using Chat GPT behind the scenes. And I was going to say, if you took the the prompt that you see it building and threw it in ChatGPT, would it give you pretty much those same results? Um, and and the reason they're going to charge is because the developer has an account that requires payment for the use of these. Now, the other interesting thing is, and that's what I was just checking, I, I just installed it on my phone and I wanted to make sure that it did or it did not sync. Oh, so you could do their uh, five free to See if I could get prompts, five yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and it immediately it says, "Do you want to create your first bucket list?" But in the background, it synced over the two that oh, I created. Right. So, if I say sure, uh, and create a new one, I'm 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 wondering if it's uh, gonna say, "Hey, I've already no." It's going to give me five Ooh. more tries mm. on this device. Interesting. Well, so, so I've um, just gone and... The developer might need to work on that.
2: Yeah, I dug, I've dug, <laughs> d- I just clicked through a little bit more. Uh, it's actually launched on Product Hunt back in June, uh, or May, in yeah. fact. Um, so so we obviously missed its original launch. It, uh, it went under the radar then. Um, they're at version, I think, 1.2 or so. Um, they've got a Mastodon account as well, where they're sharing what they're working on and uh, posting... Uh, screenshots and things so uh yeah i might just pop over to their product hunt or Mastodon profile and tell them that we've talked about them on the show um yeah fun fun yeah. thing i mean it looks really interesting to to see how it moves forward i wondered as well michael as you were saying it, it you know it, it obviously uses chat gpt it may use that api it could use another recommendation type thing um they it sometimes you know in a there isn't. I, I said that there were that it was on Android, and I was completely wrong because it says there are no plans for Android. So I missed. I was mistaken. It's only on the Apple App Store, uh, and I said it was on the Play Store. So rewind by uh, five minutes in the conversation and re- <laughs> ignore the thing I just said. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it they so, they so, haven't so come you out tell and said that, that it's Chat GPT. On oh, they haven't said that in here, but it may well be. They haven't said so. it.
0: But but if you tell it that you want uh, your bucket list to, is to sing at the Met. Uh, it actually gives you a pretty good
1: list there, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. I put that in our chat. <laughs> yeah. So cool stuff. I, I I thought you might get a kick out of it. And then, um, yeah, I think uh, letting the developer know that we're chatting about it here is a good thing to do, mm-hmm. too. It's kind of a cool AI instance and has some nice use cases to it. Now, um, we've got a longer article that we don't have time to go through today, but I, I think we had covered this once before about this, um, this town of AIs that kind of interact with one another, and it's from a series of uh, scholars from Stanford and I think a couple others that had created essentially a town where the the prompt that started off all the AIs in the town was one of the characters wants Mm -hmm. to have a Valentine's Day party. Right? Yeah. We we went pretty deep on on an episode on
0: that one because I remember as a top-down kind of eight bit graphic exactly town.
1: and they've updated it since then and it's now open source so that's the that's the new news nice so don't know that um i'll have a chance to go and get the open source version of it and go play with it but it's an intriguing thing about multiple ais interacting with one another and we've got the ar xiv documents uh ready to go for those that you want to deep dive into it so check it out very cool um the, the next pair of articles are ones that came across my feeds here um, this past week, and this was an intriguing element of AI and what potentially could go wrong from a generative AI perspective. So I'll set it up here for a moment. And then we'll we'll see where we go with it. So there's an Ars Technica article. There are several on this actually about a, an artist uh, or an author named Jane Friedman, who noticed that in Amazon and in Goodreads there were a bunch of new titles that had showed up under her as the author that she had absolutely nothing to do with writing, and the um, the. Blog posts that I've got referenced as well as this particular article talks about uh, the hilarity that ensued with her attempting to get Amazon and Goodreads both to get these generated texts that had listed her as the author and affiliated her with those texts um, to get them to take it down and that it's not so simple to go do that.
0: Well, for, for people who don't realize this, Amazon owns Goodreads, uh, so so it's really going after the same company twice. Uh, and I don't think the story really here is Amazon and Goodreads. I, I think the story, the way I took it, and this is, I think, where we'll have an interesting discussion, was when AI generates something whatever it is, and it uh, go back to our discussion that we had on the rights of the authors or the original creators with stuff that's generated in their style, right? Um, how do you police and clean that up, especially, now let's talk Goodreads as a social media site where anybody can write a thing and say, this is a book by that person. You can publish, not publish, but you can Re- create a reference to a book, whether it exists or not. Okay. And so there's the whole moderation aspect of of that. I think the real story is here is when you're in an environment where moderation comes into play and if something is generated, how do you prove a negative, which is kind of the Amazon angle, which is like prove that it isn't you because of trademarks and things of that nature. Right. So, so I think there's a lot of different angles that this story can take along um getting something off the net that shouldn't be there, uh, especially when it can be generated and massed through an AI yeah angle.
1: yeah and th- there are a ton of different angles here and if you misunderstood the way I was setting it up um I apologize for that but uh, Goodreads uses moderators volunteers, which is yep. different than well, a uh, com- commercial enterprise like Amazon and her experiences that she documents and you can read it. We're, were less than satisfactory with Amazon actually initially saying, oh, yeah. no, I'm not going to take them down because Amazon makes money when the book is well, sold. Well, I think
0: someone, I was about to say, I think someone actually created yeah. the book and sold it through exactly. the marketplace, right? So there's, there's, and double she didn't get the
1: money there. for the work that she didn't create, but it was still attributed to her, yeah. which is nuts. Yeah. Which is really nuts.
2: So, so I've got a couple of things I want to talk about in relation to this story. Uh, first of all, I, I, I micro-shared um, the author's post um, with both of us uh, originally, and then I subsequently saw a, a story on Ars Technica a couple of days later, which had a slightly different angle on it because it was reporting on the blog post and, and, and everything else going on. So we've got a couple of links for you there. The Goodreads element, I'd like to just sort of point out that there is a Goodreads, like IMDb and like various other things, are owned by Amazon these days. Um, they didn't start off that way, um, but uh, yeah. if you don't wish to to use those services or wish to move away from them, then there is a Fediverse alternative, um, which relies on because the, you know they don't have huge databases like Amazon's um, to, to 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 literally springboard off. You know, Amazon's got a, a gigantic product database and knows pretty much every product ID in the world and has images of those things uh, and, you know, related information about manufacturers or authors and whatever, um, because in and, and Goodreads, you know, if you search for, if you buy a book on Amazon, it will show, it can show up in your Goodreads library. Um, something like Bookworm um, is going to need you to import your books or or, or have their own date, smaller databases. So they use uh other databases of books open databases of books and sometimes you need to contribute and add them yourself um there are there are some tools in there to to do that syncing and there are also some tools to to bring in your your existing goodreads library and then you can share what you're reading with people in the fediverse which is pretty neat um related though to the ai piece uh i also saw a story this week um that and I think this is a, has been an ongoing narrative over the, the last few weeks, where we've been talking about plagiarism and authors being concerned about how their work is being published, shared online, found, reused. And we had that story a few weeks ago, where it was specifically about some comedians' content that had been shared, sort of on either on the dark web or had been inappropriately shared and ended up in a in a data set for a large language model. Um, there was another thing this week or so that Mike Masanek, who is an awesome author on tech dirt, and, uh, it also exists all over the internet on blue sky and on Mastodon and other places. Uh, he posted a piece on tech dirt this week about how a tool called ProseCraft was taken down this week, primarily because a large number of authors dogpiled the person that built this tool years ago. That, that he built this tool oh. and it was a an interesting tool because it would do things like giving you numerical analyses of how vivid a book's descriptions were you know, by literally doing some analysis of the text in the book uh how many adverbs are in the book you know um it's got some some got some fun sort of pictures screenshots in the tech dirt article how many words are in the book in total and where that Ranks in books in the library, um, these kind of things, and journalists could then use that data and say, "Well, this is a long book, or this is a book that is difficult to read, potentially, or is re- re- written using the, the passive voice." Or researchers could use that. Now, what happened uh, on Monday of the week that we're recording, um, so five days ago, uh, August 2023, was a large number of authors over that pre- previous weekend started, uh, uh, became aware of this and started complaining to the author that they were, you know, doing this analysis on the work, which is, I believe meant to be fair use of, of information that's published. Um, the Gizmo- Gizmodo article kind of, uh, misunderstood the, the, the fair use, uh, uh piece as well, I believe, or like certainly Mike's, uh, analysis. And as a result, the author of this tool, uh, has taken it down, uh, completely because people were on the internet got upset. So I, in the past, a few weeks ago did say, well, look, you know, let we, we should be more aware of where authors work is being published and how it might be ending up in these deep, difficult to unravel machine learning models because once they're tokenized and those are mixed in with all of the others it's difficult to sort of individually go and rip all of that out again of, the, of, a, of a big pool of data um there was in this case some sort of fear of ai that was 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 driving this behavior the other thing that today made me th- uh, today's experience with uh our Soka or Suka tool that we talked about uh, has made me think about is again this use of the term AI. It's not going to go away. We we're we stuck with it because it's f- passed into into general use uh, in the in the manner that's being used. But I honestly started to think as I was walking down the street today, looking at this tool that my friend Michael had shared with me, generating this list of recommendations uh, based on a, on a search term, and I was thinking, well, this is this is an algorithm. It's an algorithm. I mean, it's we we are labeling these things as AI because it's quick and easy and short and things. You know, I mean, yes, it's a very large data set that it's working from, right? And it's and it's come up with some very clever autocorrect. Again, which is autocorrect on steroids. Um, it's we, we're finding ways of democratizing the data into people's devices or into people's personal data sets or. It, You know, more people have access, more companies have access to the huge amount of data that somebody like Google used to have with the the search index that they had. You know, there there was a fear of Google owning all of the Internet because, you know, the the default search engine was Google and they had the index and everybody needed to be in the index. But, uh, yeah, it's rapidly now passed into all of the data you know and we've we've t- spoken already this this episode about who you know who's claiming rights to look at through data you know uh it's 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 probably it's problematic but i think it's also as i was on a, another podcast recently and somebody referred to this as you know the witchcraft argument it's something i don't understand therefore i'm going to run at it with a burning torch because <laughs> It's terrifying to me, you know. (laughs) And it weighs Um, the same as a duck. (laughs) Exactly. And I get both sides of the argument. Um, But I I do think we need to calm down a lot (laughs) and think a lot more carefully about what is happening, how we're sharing information, how that information is being reused, what technologies are. They're not reasoning- intelligent machines they're just algorithms that are returning answers to questions that we ask them based on the information they have my my soapbox can now be removed from under my my feet and i will land on my backside
1: oh i don't think you will
2: (laughs) and unfortunately
0: that takes us out of time too (laughs)
1: Well, we have a few Oops. other things that we will include in our show notes, so you can take a look at what we wanted to get to but didn't quite today, and we will bring them up again as as warranted the next show, but th- this is where we have some passion, and Andy, I'm, I'm glad you, you <laughs> yeah. put the soapbox underneath your feet and stood on it to to share those thoughts, so it was really quite cool.
2: I'm now going to build a custom keyboard just so I can run Doom in a keycap. Yep, you should. You should.
1: All right, so folks, uh, with that, we will close off the show for the day. We're hoping that you give us a few ideas and tips and tricks about what you might want to hear us talk about on our next edition of gamesatwork.biz, and you have plenty of ways to Fediverse them on over to us, and we'll um, pick them up here again on the next edition of gamesatwork.biz. See ya. See ya
0: been listening to games at the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue you can follow us on twitter at games at work underscore biz or at our website at games at